And now, Lifestyles Unlimited presents the Real Estate Investor Radio Show. Over the next hour, we unfold your map to financial freedom. You'll learn how to retire through investing in single-family and multifamily real estate. You'll learn how to create cash flow and build wealth so you can have the time and money to live the lifestyle you want. Hello and welcome to the show. This is Andy Webb with Lifestyles Unlimited. And as always, we're working on your financial freedom. I'm going to open with a question. You may have an idea, an inkling about this. Where do most Americans store their value, their, their wealth? Let me put it that way. Where do they keep that wealth? Well, if you do any research, and, and I did find an article, it's a little bit dated, 2018. This is from Go Banking Rates. They, they asked that question. So these are self-respondents that are answering. And 401k. Easily the the winner here, twenty eight percent said that's where they keep or that's where they keep the ball. They're twenty eight percent of their wealth. Let me rephrase that. Twenty two percent surprisingly in checking accounts. Eighteen percent in savings. Twelve percent in an IRA. A little bit in in CDs. And the number I want to get to are what they're calling physical assets. And and back in twenty eighteen, this was fifteen percent. Now that's going to be your your home, uh, car, jewelry, that sort of thing. But obviously, predominantly. The, the house, your personal property. So aside from a, a potential store of value, what do we what do we really always hear about that house? Your house is your biggest investment. That house is your biggest asset, your biggest investment. Is that true? Does it have to be? Should it be? And if this is a placeholder of value, this this personal property for Americans, is that is that really still still even attainable in the current environment. So that's what I want to get to today. I want to take a look at that personal house that you may presently own, maybe maybe you recently disposed of given the high equity we all see out there. Uh, in fact, thinking about the fact that this article is from 2018, or these statistics are from 2018, that 15% in physical assets, that has probably gone up significantly as we've seen the equity in our homes increase over the years. Now that's great if you if you own a house already. But what if you're trying to buy that house? What if you're new to the market and a first-time buyer? What I'm going to do, what I want to look at uh, with you for the balance of the show is actually a, a recent article that uh, hit my mailbox. I got this in in uh, paper format uh, from Tierra Grande, which is a this is a magazine that's put out by the Texas A&M Texas Real Estate Research Center. And the article's titled Home Stretch. Uh, not, not baseball, sounds like an analogy there, but uh, they're talking about buyers feeling the pinch of rising interest rates. And I have this in paper co uh, copy if, if you want to go look at the article, um, read some of the, I guess, the, 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 the stats, how they get, it, get to some of their numbers. Uh, you can go to their website. Again, that's the Texas Real Estate Research Center. That's Texas A&M. Uh, the article is out there on their website called Home Stretch. The, the, the author is Claire, C-L-A-R-E, Claire Losey. But, uh, you know, it says just the subtitle here that the recent rise in mortgage interest rates affect potential homebuyers in several ways, including lowering their purchasing power so they can't buy as much, increasing their mortgage payments, right? It costs, the ongoing cost is higher and diminishing their anticipated returns on home ownership. Bad news if you're trying to get into that first house. Bad news if you view that as a store of value. Bad news if you view that as your biggest investment, as your biggest asset. 
And the opening paragraph here, and I think this is what really caught my eye, this very first sentence. It says, home ownership represents the single largest investment and source of wealth for most U.S. households. So that kind of dispels that that tilts the equation in that 2018 uh, set of data from Go Banking rates. That tilts it more heavily towards the personal residence, I would say. But if home ownership represents the the single largest investment, and I think more importantly here, I want to underscore source of wealth. I'm going to pause and I'm going to ask the question: Why stop at just one home? Why not two? Why not three, four, or more? Okay, home ownership, they say, represents biggest source of wealth. They go on to say, but, and we saw this in the subtitle, a multitude of factors have made attaining home ownership more challenging, especially for those first-time home buyers. And obviously, the most recent factor is what? It's the interest rates. Before that, what was the problem? Lack of inventory, supply-side issues, which pushed up prices. So now we've got both higher prices, a lack of inventory remains, and higher interest rates. So what this article does is it, it looks at the impact of rising interest rates on home buyers. What what was or what is the break even point now if you're investing in your personal house, if you're buying it, let me rephrase that, if you're buying your personal property, what is the break even point for you now versus say a year ago? And again, you can you can read if you go to their website. You can read a little bit more about their methodology. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of that here, uh, but I do think the parameters, some of the assumptions that they used in their model, I think they're worth mentioning because I, as a real estate investor, I find some of these very very interesting, and I and I think you will as well. Whether you invest now or you're just thinking about buying your first single family rental property, like I just said. If that personal house is your biggest source of wealth, why not add a rental home and another after that and another after that to really plump up that that wealth? So looking just quickly at their parameters, they looked at the home sales so far this year in Q2, quarter two, 2022. And they said, okay, if this is a first time buyer, what's their purchase price? They looked at the first quartile meaning the the lowest 20 or the first 25 percent of home sales and the price came in at two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that's a reasonable number from what everything i've seen out there and the way that i've adjusted my my goals my targets as a single family rental buyer over the years my target market value when i'm done with the process of fixing it up it's getting up to about that number 200 maybe 250k so this is a good number for for our discussion what we're going to do is look at what that home buyer is seeing and how they're being impacted with these rising rates. And we're going to see how we as real estate investors are generally insulated from these impacts. I'm your host, Andy Webb. If you have any questions, you can email me at askandy at luinc.com. And looking at this article, this was in Tierra Grande. This is a magazine published by Texas Real Estate Research Center. That's part of uh, Texas A&M University. If you're, by the way, if you're doing any research, if you're outside of Texas listening right now and you're thinking about investing here, uh, the Texas Real Estate Center is a great place to go to their website because there's a lot of information on what is going on in the Texas market specifically. They're not looking at Arkansas or Louisiana or New, you know our neighbors around around here around Texas here, but they're focused squarely on Texas in in different uh, with different angles, different respects. Uh, so it's a good place to go if you want to invest here. And this particular article is looking at, at what home buyers are encountering right now as they try to say buy that starter home. 
starter home in this case we've defined as a $250,000 purchase price and what headwinds are they encountering aside from a lack of inventory which has pushed up prices now we're encountering interest rates well how does that impact them how does that impact me as a real estate investor my thesis here today is essentially you know when i think about where most americans stash their money or stash their wealth uh, we heard that 401k is a big piece checking uh, surprisingly enough savings uh, just normal non basically non-interest bearing uh, bank accounts and then to a lesser degree your homes now I don't know that your stashing of wealth in your home is an active thing or more of a passive thing because you bought the house, you've been living there, you've seen your equity go up, right? Neither here nor there. For the new buyers out there, there are some very, very strong headwinds. And in the analysis here in this article, Home Stretch, what we're looking at is their calculation of break even essentially for the home buyer, right? If you're trying to build wealth by acquiring that, that primary property, when does that wealth start to accrue? And it varies dramatically by interest rate. What they did is they looked at that purchase price we just mentioned, $250,000. An interesting number for us as real estate investors, by the way, because as the market has shifted upward and prices have climbed, our target market value has gone up as well. That's a good number for us right now. So what they did is they looked at the down payment for an owner occupant of 5%. I, as an investor, can never do that. At, at, at my best, when I still had Fannie Mae buckets, the cheap money, government-backed loans that I could get into was 15%. So down payment of 5%, in this case, on $250,000, that's not bad. $12,500, good for the, the owner occupant. And what they compared now on the interest rate side, and this is just about a year apart, 3% interest versus 6%. And this is really where it gets, I think, interesting. Uh, no, no pun intended there. We're not going to worry about closing costs. Here are a couple of stats that, that go into their model. I just want to mention these now up front because I think they're interesting for you and me, the real estate investor. They do average or put together an average annual appreciation rate of 4%. And if you've caught the show before, you've probably heard me use numbers around 3 to 5% appreciation on average for the state of Texas. Now, we've enjoyed tremendous appreciation over the past decade, unusual levels of appreciation, but on average, 3 to 5%, and they have it right here, 4%. Even if you think a recession's coming and we might have a dip, well, if you're holding over a couple of years, you're, gonna, you're probably going to see 4% on average. So good number to run with. A couple other stats that they use for figuring out the cost side of things Taxes, 3%. Taxes are very high. Property taxes in Texas, keep that in mind if you're investing here from out of state. Uh, anywhere from the low twos to, to maybe low 3% depends on the jurisdiction where you're buying, the, the county, the, the hospitals, the schools, all that good stuff. But 3% is a very good number to, to use if you're putting your own numbers together, if you're creating a, a, a pro forma or a, a budget looking forward. Insurance, 1%. Good number. That's what I tend to use in my in my general analyses. This one caught me by surprise. Maintenance, they're using 2% of the purchase price. Now, if I'm going to calculate maintenance, typically I plug a goose egg in there. I'll, I'll explain why. But if I use a maintenance figure, it's going to be either 5 or 10% of the gross rents that I, as an investor, am collecting on that property. 5 to 10%. That may include some capex for down the road if I'm going to plan on holding it longer. Um, but they're using 2% of the purchase price. That's a pretty significant number. That's $5,000 per year. Now, if you think about that, owner-occupant goes in, buys the house. They kind of accept the, the, the blemishes, right? Typically, these, these are pre-owned homes. 
They're not building them new and selling those for 250K. So these are pre-owned homes. So there are issues. Maybe some of those get fixed when they moved in, but over the course of their hold, they're going to address those. More will come up. So 5%, or excuse me, 2% or 5K per year is probably a good number. If you own your own home, you've probably had a water heater go out. You've probably had an AC go bad or furnace as we get to the colder months. Um, it would probably include in that number what I would consider capital expenditures. Now, the difference for me, why I call it a goose egg, is because we follow the Lifestyles Unlimited model. When we acquire a house, we don't just hold it as is. We go in and we renovate up front before we move a resident in. So we take all those things that are broken now or could break in the next handful of years and we fix them up front. So that maintenance 2% of purchase price, that goes away. But thinking about the owner-occupant and thinking about the notion of your primary residence, your personal house, as your greatest investment, it may cost you a lot of money, that's for sure. But it's not really an asset, as you tend to hear people bandy the term about out there in the broader market. It is a liability. Why? Because of those things that I just mentioned, taxes, property taxes, you got to pay those every year or you lose the house. Insurance, you got to pay that every year, especially no matter where you are in Texas. And our insurance rates are very high here because we've got the hurricanes on the coast. We've got the tornadoes up here in Dallas, Fort Worth, where I sit. We've got hail all around. So the, the insurance cost can be significant. And then we just heard about maintenance. So you're feeding. You're feeding this this house. You're feeding it constantly. You're paying constantly, not to mention the interest that we will get to here in just a moment. So you're paying too much out, essentially. It is not an asset in that sense. It is, it is truly a liability. It is not creating cash flow. That is my definition of an asset, a property that is bringing me money. Even though I'm paying property taxes, insurance, maybe, maybe the occasional maintenance, insurance, uh, interest rather, it's bringing me money. It's putting money into my pocket. That's the difference here between your primary liability and my rental property assets. So to continue on with the article here, what they're really ultimately looking at is the, the rate of return on home ownership. And again, they examined that at two different rates of interest, two different levels of interest rate, 3%, which is what we saw about a year ago, and 6% on owner occupant. Here's the interesting thing. If you want to think about building wealth, if you're focused, if you want to stick with this notion of my personal house is my greatest investment, your break even at 3% is going to occur in year two fairly quickly. Meaning you, if you were to sell now, factoring in other things like uh, the fact that you've been paying PMI, private mortgage insurance due to that low down payment, uh, closing costs, uh, uh, cost of, of selling, etc., you're going to break even if you sell in year two. If you're holding it now, if you buy now at a 6% or higher rate, that break-even doesn't occur until year five or later. So it's now taking longer for new homeowners to to reap the benefit. And I'm here talking about personal property, prim primary homes. It's taking longer to reap the wealth-building benefits of home ownership in this current environment. But this is not true. This is not true for single-family real estate investors. And I'll explain that more here in just a moment. Got questions? Call Lifestyles Unlimited at 855-497-4335. The Real Estate Investor Radio Show continues next. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer not because that's the way it's set up. 
but because of the knowledge. When put into action, knowledge is power. At Lifestyles Unlimited, we empower you to live the lifestyle of your dreams through passive real estate income. For over 30 years, our successful members share their knowledge through case studies, classes, and mentoring. Tap into the knowledge. Attend a free workshop online. Register now at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Andy Webb, and we're taking a look today at an article that appeared in the Texas A&M University uh, Texas Real Estate Research Center's magazine, Tierra Grande. You can find this online, uh, Tierra, that's T-I-E-R-R-A Grande, um, G-R-A-N-D-E. Uh, you can find this online. It just came out uh, September 22nd. I happen to get the magazine in the mail uh, routinely. And I don't even know why. It just started showing up one day, and I'm happy to read it. It's <laughs> very informative. I'm glad I do uh, take delivery of this. But this article is called Homestretch, and it's looking at the impact of interest rates on buyers. Now, they're focused in particular on new buyers, so they're looking at a, at, at a, sm at a lower uh, dollar quartile, the first quartile um, in terms of purchases made in Q2 2022. The, the upper end of that range was $250,000. That, that squares very well with what we're seeing as real estate investors out there in the market right now as well, meaning when I go in and buy a distressed asset, I'm going to fix it up, and when I'm done, the value on the back end is going to be approaching that number. It may be higher. It may be, it may be lower. So this 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 dovetails very well with what I tend to think about as a real estate investor. And the 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 big focus of the article is that hey, it's going to be harder to get your money out of that house if you buy right now as a primary home, your your personal home, as a buyer of your personal property. This differs for me as a real estate investor. And again, you can go to that article, see their, their parameters and whatnot online. Um, interesting stuff. There's some good measurements there that you might use in doing your own analysis around uh, property tax rates, insurance, that sort of thing. But the bottom line is, if you consider that house to be a great source of wealth, my thesis is why not get another one and another one and another one after that? In this case, naturally, we're talking about rental property. Um, if you think about your personal house, you commonly hear it as a, a big asset, but it is truly a liability because you're paying that thing every month in terms of those uh, costs that we just talked about. For me, as a rental property owner, it flips on its head entirely. And let's start with the big thing that I like to see, which is cash flow. With interest rates going up on your personal property, doesn't matter if they're 3% or 6%, you're not cash flow positive. You're paying that thing every every month, every year. For me, as an investor, my single family houses, they are putting money into my pocket every month. They are cash flowing. And we buy specifically assets that will cash flow. That's why we buy here in Texas. That's why we buy houses in the Sun Belt, in Georgia, in Tennessee, because the numbers in these markets are cash flow positive and they do make sense. Essentially, what am I doing? I'm buying a distressed asset, as I mentioned, fixing it up, and I'm putting a renter into place. That's the typical Lifestyles Unlimited model. So that renter's paying my, my rent every month, that gross rent, that goes to cover my fixed costs, including that mortgage, which includes that interest payment. And regardless of whether interest rates are at 3%, 6%, 8%, maybe it goes higher, we're putting profit, we're putting cash flow into our pocket every month. 
huge difference between your primary residence and my pool, my portfolio of single family houses. They're putting money into my pocket every month, each and every one of those. And because we follow the lifestyles model and we go in and we renovate that house, we talked about this already, that big, that big number that the Tierra Grande article had concerning maintenance and CapEx, 2% of purchase price, which in this analysis equates to almost $5,000 a year. We just don't see that. We just don't see that because we're putting on the market what? We're putting on the market best product at the best price. And best product means I've gone in and taken care of any, any, any repairs up front. So ongoing maintenance is a non-issue. Now, another thing that's occurring as part of our process, and this is a big, big, big contrast to this article home stretch again in the article they're looking at two different levels of interest three percent and six percent interest rates for the owner occupant and they examine what is the rate of return or rather when do you break even first of all as an owner occupant at those two different uh rates of interest for the three percent level it happens in year two fairly quickly if you were to sell in year two that is at six percent you've got to hold longer you got to hold all the way to year five before you can sell and break even, not not take a loss on those holding costs, on the repairs, on the selling costs, and and so on. Again, going back to their parameters and their assumptions. What's also interesting is the rate of return. If you're in that 3% interest rate bracket, if you did happen to, to buy, let's say, a year ago, your, your return does go up as you tend to hold longer. Three, year three, you're at about 18% in this analysis. Year six, at about 22%. What's interesting is then it starts to decline as you hold longer. Why? CapEx, maintenance, those tend to go up. 6% again, you're not even positive till year five. In year six, you're eking out about 5% return. Year eight, 7.4%. Year 10, 8.2%. You got to hold for a very long time as an owner-occupant. As real estate investors buying single-family houses, we don't even think about break-even situations. This is not part of the calculus for me. We make a profit from the outset. As I mentioned, we're buying assets that are distressed. That allows us to buy right. That allows us to buy at a discount, and we create equity on the outset through the process. We call that equity capture. And we can create as much as a 100% return in just the first few months of ownership, sometimes more. So in this analysis, they had the down payment at 5% for an owner-occupant, $12,500. I have seen investment opportunities come from the Lifestyles Realty team that have that level of out-of-pocket and then have a 100% return in that first handful of months when I get through the process of renovating. 100% return. In fact, just this morning, I don't know, these, the realty team, they, they, they have a radar from when I need, for when I need these things, I guess. I got in my inbox literally before the show. This is from the team in San Antonio. Here's a house, a little bit older build, asking price 105 after repair price opinion. So when it's fixed up, $280,000. So that fits again well, I think, with our discussion today. But here's the thing, estimated out of pocket, buying with hard money because it is distressed. I can tell you based on that spread, you're going to, you're going to be doing some work here, but Estimated out-of-pocket, $17,000. Very close to what we're talking about, but get this. Get this. 
estimated equity capture $57,000. That is a 300% return. Now this is a this is an unusual deal. We we do see these come out uh, but that level of return is is huge. That is definitely a home run on the equity capture side and it is cash flowing. It's cash flowing almost $400 a month, $388. That's a 27% cash on cash return. Going back to my owner occupant house at 6% interest. You got to sit in that thing for 10 years just to get to 8% return. 10 years. Whereby with this house, a little bit higher rehab, let's say two to three months, 300% return. And then cash flowing ongoing, 27% per month. So it's great to live in your primary residence. I, I live in mine. I'm actually broadcasting from my primary home in the Dallas-Fort Worth area right now. I love my house. We've been here for a decade. But I have no illusions about it being my greatest asset. We had to do foundation repair. My AC, I, I can tell you, in 2001, <laughs> is a ticking time bomb. Fortunately, as a, a, an investor and a member at Lifestyles Unlimited, I know where to go to get those repairs done at, at, a, good, at, a, at a good number. Uh, so when that does occur, we'll, we'll take care of it. But it's just ongoing out-of-pocket. Property taxes keep going up year after year. Insurance, as I mentioned, keeps going up year after year. So my personal residence where I'm broadcasting to you right now is a liability. I view it that way. But all of my houses are putting cash into my pocket every month. This house down in San Antonio, 27% return cash on cash. Cannot beat that. Cannot beat that. So that is a big differentiation. Again, I don't want to dissuade you from buy, buying your own house. I think it's great. You have community. We love our neighbors. We have kids that my, my little five-year-old plays with on the block. All that good stuff. There are intrinsic values there that, that you cannot dispute. And we're taking a look today at an article called Home Stretch. This was in the magazine Tierra Grande, which is published by the Texas A&M University, Texas Real Estate Research Center. That's a mouthful, but uh, that's who puts that out. Article is by Claire Losey. This just came out in September of 2022. You can find this on their, on their website, but it's an interesting analysis of the impact of interest rates on home ownership as it pertains to owner occupants, people that are in their primary residence. And they say here in the article, because higher interest rates result in higher mortgage payments, we know that, they diminish the returns on home ownership, diminish the returns, underscore that, prolonging the amount of time necessary to break even on the costs of home ownership. So with these higher interest rates, you're getting diminished returns, and it's taking you longer to even get to break even, let alone, let alone get to a profit. And when you, we, we already heard in the last segment, when you get to that profit, it is nothing to write home about, right? A lot of people keep their store their value in their homes. That is that is the place where a lot of equity is parked. Now I think that for me, I've owned my home here where I'm broadcasting right now for a decade or longer now. I love the house. I love the neighbors. I love the community. I love being part of that. My son is now part of that as well. That is very, very important. That is an intrinsic value that I can't put a number on. But if I'm thinking rationally and, and, and just from a wealth building perspective, this is not it. Now we've enjoyed some equity, increases some appreciation over the past decade, don't get me wrong. But when it comes to actively 
making a choice and actively building wealth. It's that house I added to my rental portfolio, the very first one a decade ago, and the one I after added after that, and the one I added after that, and the and 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 the handful I did, and and so on. You you get the point. Because as we went along, we did a number of things. I already talked to you about equity capture. So the notion that if I buy my personal property and I have to wait now what five six years to break even. If I took that approach with a, a, a rental house, that's that's that does not work. What we see is not even break even, but rather sometimes a doubling of our investment just in a handful of months through the process. Again, we're buying right, buying assets that need work. And as we put that work in, we renovate, we address everything that is now broken or could break in a handful of years. And then we rent that property. We find a resident. We do our due diligence, put someone in there, a great family, great person, whatever, and we collect our rent. And through that process of renovation, we've created equity. That's equity capture. That can be a huge number. Like the investment literally this morning hit my inbox that's down in San Antonio over 300% return just on that equity invested. But then ongoing cash flow. Every single one of my houses kicks off cash flow every month. And the example that I got from San Antonio, $388. That's a 27% return. Equity capture, cash flow, big, big part of my picture when I analyze an investment, but it doesn't stop there because on top of that, what have we done? We've put a resident into place and here's a huge difference between my rental houses and your primary residence. Who is paying that mortgage? So the interest, that's the biggest part of the monthly payment that's paid by my resident, not by me on my rental houses. Principal, yeah, paid as well by the resident. They are paying down that mortgage for you. Every month we have a little bit higher equity. These are not big numbers by any means. It may be $150, 200 250 maybe a little more now that values are up. And now that, uh, yeah, values are up. But um, they're paying that down for me. And the principal, you know, the principal paid over the life of the loan is the same. It, it doesn't matter if... If it's a, a, a higher interest rate or a lower interest rate, we're paying the same principal, but the interest does vary. Okay, so you can really sit down with an amortization calculator or an amortization schedule and a loan amount and say, okay, this is my monthly or my annual return on this house based on principal payments. And the article that I was discussing with you, they looked at what is that, what is that principal pay down? At a 3% interest rate in year one, it's $4,500. At a 6% interest rate in year one, it drops significantly to 2600 But you're still making a return. You're still making a return. If I use their number, their 5% down, that's the cash out of pocket for the, uh, the, the owner here, that's somewhere around a 30% return for the 3%, 20% for the, the 6% interest rate. Now, we don't see quite that level on our rental properties. It tends to be anywhere from 4, 5, 6, 7, maybe, maybe 8%. That will decline a little bit as interest rates go up, and the interest portion of that payment is a little bit higher on the outset. But the bottom line is this. We're enjoying equity buildup quietly in the background on paper, accruing to our wealth as that resident pays down the mortgage for me. Now, I mentioned this already. This was part of the parameters, part of the assumptions that the uh, author of the article put into their, their model and doing their analysis here is appreciation. And in Texas, Texas is a fairly conservative state with respect to appreciation. It tends to average somewhere between three and two, three, four, five percent over the years. They used four percent. I think that's a great number to work with. You know. It ties out very well with what we historically see now again in the last decade or so it's been unusual but on average four percent and if you apply that four percent to their model house here two hundred fifty thousand dollar value in one year 
you've gained $10,000 in appreciation. If you hold that for another year, it's a little north of $10,000, a little bit higher than that the next year. So again, as you're holding that property, we're enjoying that cash flow. That's the big picture thing that I want to see. But we're also enjoying that equity buildup in the background, and we're also enjoying that appreciation. Now, if you're sitting there scratching your head and thinking, yeah, but I think we're headed towards a recession, our value is going to go down. Dramatically, nah, I don't think so. In Texas, don't know, maybe not at all. Even if they do, we saw this back in 2006, 7, 8. Uh, with the drop we had, they came roaring back and roaring back again and roaring back again after that. Uh, I think you're safe to work with that 4% number that our, that our author has here. So appreciation's there. Finally, and we talk about the five ways that we make money with our houses. We've just talk about, talked about four. The fifth are the tax advantages. Now, you as an owner-occupant, you do have a very big tax advantage when it comes time to sell. We'll get to that. You talk to any realtor, they're going to tell you, hey, big, big benefit. You can write off your mortgage interest. And that is true. That is true. But you do have to itemize your expenses on your return. And there's a very big hurdle in place now. In 2022... If you're filing as a, a single tax filer, you can you can claim up to twelve thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars in um, I'm drawing a blank here in uh, in, in exemptions. Sorry, um, for single filers for married twenty five thousand nine hundred. So you got to overcome that hurdle with respect to your mortgage interest plus whatever uh, expenses you may have. The big benefit though is when you go to sell and the capital gain because you can claim up to $250,000 of profits if you're single filing by yourself. Profits on that house, on that personal house, 500000 if you're married jointly. That's just built into uh, the tax code for you, the, the homeowner. For me, the investor, if I want to do that, do I have that advantage? Yes and no. I can take advantage of a piece of the property call code that's called the 1031 exchange and that is not limited to $250,000. That is not limited to $500,000. Basically, it allows me to take my capital gains in the property that I'm selling and roll those into the next one, two, three, however many, however many I want to put into play as part of that 1031 exchange process. Without getting into the details here, just take away that you have very large tax advantages upon sale if you use this method. You do need to find a good 1031 exchange agent. You have to have one to keep the, the sale, sale funds in escrow and manage the process for you. Uh, but it's a very, very good way to defer those taxes. You may, you may pay them later. Defer, 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 die, perhaps, as we say, um, and reset everything for your heirs. But the 1031 exchange mimics what you as the homeowner have. But here's a big piece that the homeowner does not have. We pay, well, first of all, you don't have cash flow. But we as the rental owner, if you're doing it right, we pay low to no taxes on our cash flow. And this is in large part due to something called depreciation. I mentioned a moment ago my, my AC unit's going to die on me soon. Knock on wood, I don't know when, but I'm pretty sure it's coming up. And my, I had to replace the water heater recently. I had to do foundation work. Roof. Got a hailstorm. I can't, I can't recognize the depreciation that naturally occurs over the life of my home with my primary residence, but I can do that on my rental properties. And we take that depreciation, we take that on paper, it is a paper expense, and we can use that to push us into net zero or, or even lost territory on our investments. Therefore, our cash flow is taxed at nothing. So 
there are more more nuances there, but uh, that's where you need to have a conversation with your CPA. But if you're doing it right, no taxes on your cash flow, and you can continue to roll your capital gains forward ad infinitum without without taxes. Now, if your personal residence is not your best investment, how can you make it work better for you? Well, take a look at your equity. Don't sit on that dead equity. This is the calculus that really keeps well, it keeps you out of the game. You need to look at how you can tap into that. I had a realtor buddy actually recently that sold his house to cash out that equity, moved his family into an apartment, and invested in some rental real estate. Do you need to do that? Not necessarily. You can do a cash out refi home equity line of credit. There are ways to tap into that equity to deploy that into a true asset that will cash flow, that helps you create that equity capture, whereby you enjoy equity buildup and appreciation and the tax advantages. These are all things that we talk about at Lifestyles Unlimited, and you can learn more if you go to our website, lifestylesunlimited.com. There's a button there for our free workshop. We'll talk about that there. You can learn more about what we do. We don't just invest in single family houses. We also invest in apartments. Everything I've talked about today in the apartment sphere, massive, massive. So give that a listen. Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and register for our free workshop. I thank you for listening today. You have a great day. The information and opinions you hear on the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show are those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show constitutes an endorsement recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.